Here's Stan Warren Luttrell. Greetings, everybody, and welcome to Finding Hope, episode number 34. Today, we have a very special guest. She is Julie Brown, and she is the general manager of the Rogue Valley Transportation District. And she will discuss what is currently going on with respect to COVID-19 and all of the various ramifications of that disease. And uh, be sure to listen and make a donation. And you can listen through Anchor.fm or the Finding Hope podcast page. Make a donation and do all that. And uh, without any further ado, here is the Finding Hope podcast. And sit back and relax and listen to the program. Thanks, everybody. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Finding Hope podcast number 34. And today, we are honored to have Julie Brown, the general manager of the Rogue Valley Transportation District. And as some of, well, certainly Julie knows and Matt knows, um, I was on the RVTD board for 13 years and although we had some challenges, I enjoyed uh, the the time my time there, and I miss doing cert- especially certain things like uh, going to Tradco and certain other things uh, that were really important. I felt for the district, and I loved it, and I missed it, and I may be back again, but this time, I won't forget to have my picture in the voters pamphlet if I have to have Matt take the picture. <laughs> I, I will help you if you need to stand. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, without any further ado, I have to, uh, you know, talk, we have to begin our discussion with Julie Brown. And a lot has happened since we last talked. And first of all, uh, I, how has COVID-19 impacted the district i know you can spend a half hour doing that but you know i know ridership is has been impacted as it has been for many transportation systems around the country but could you uh tell us a little bit about the changes that have been brought about because of that sure like any business we've been impacted by lower ridership, um, people just aren't going out as much. They're trying to make sure that they shelter at home, that they they follow the governor's orders. And with that said, it's dropped our ridership significantly because if you think about who rides our system, we have a lot of students. So SOU and RCC students no longer riding um, a lot of the high school students. And so we saw that drop immediately when the school system shut down. And then we started seeing the dwindling of, of people that were going to work. Um, a lot of businesses shut, shut down. And then um, the last piece of it was really trying to comply with um, the governor's order to social distance. So we have been struggling with that, just trying to make sure that we keep not only our, our operators safe, but our passengers. So it has changed the way we do business and the way we look at everything. Um, we meet every morning and look at our ridership at stops and try to decide where we need to put more resources or 
take some of the resources that aren't being used and place them somewhere else. So it's been an, an interesting um, ride, not only for our um, fixed route system, but also our valley lift system, which is our, our complementary paratransit system. So it's been a challenge. And you've done some interesting things with Valley Love to keep your, your your drivers there. I mean, to keep utilizing them. Could you explain some of those changes? Because I certainly know of some of them. Sure. So I'm probably you're probably better uh, informed than I am, Stan. Sometimes I think as a as a user of our system, but I think that um, some of the things that we've done, we saw a drastic drop. In, in ridership um, on our Valley Lift side because of the loss of medical services. So it got down to essential services like dialysis or people that are going in for infusions for, for cancer treatment, et cetera. So we saw, you know, a drop in, in um, ridership. And one of my concerns is that when you start um, – creating something where it keeps all of your drivers idle, you start losing your employees. So if you go to a layoff status, what happens is your employees disappear too. And there's a lot of training that goes into each person and to bring them back when you go to gear up is really difficult. So we tried to get creative on how could we keep our employees going, our contractor going. Um, And so what we did was we heard that there was a need to deliver meals through the uh, Rogue Valley Council of Governments. So that if, if you know about the program called Food and Friends, um, I think that's how, what it is. Yes, it is. Um, they have a volunteer system. Well, those volunteers, a lot of them are elderly, and they should not be out in public. And I'll give you an example. My 88-year-old mother-in-law delivers a meals um, every week, and she's still doing it. Um, of course, she's wearing her personal protective equipment, and they put some things in place, but she just knows that this is vital for people to get their meals. Um, and then what was happening with the meal site shutting down, all of a sudden, they had an influx of people that needed home delivery of meals. So they, we talked to them. We called them and said, look, we have drivers and we have vehicles. How can we do a matchup with you and provide you some additional service um, for for the people that are receiving the meals. And so they brought in our drivers and trained them. Um, because our employees are all background checked, we didn't have to go through that extra hoop of making sure that they met that criteria because we already knew they did. So it was really a good match. Then we talked to uh, the state and federal government about how can we cover these costs for our Valley Lift drivers because we are still serving the elderly and disabled, although they're not actually taking a trip on our vehicle. And there has been a kind of a head nod of, go ahead and do that, we'll cover it. So this this movement, after we had these conversations, actually started taking off statewide, where different transit agencies are now delivering meals, delivering food. Um, as long as the person is elderly or disabled, they're able to do that and still use funds from the state. Um, yeah, because I know one of the people that I used to work with at the genealogy library, 
was being uses uh, food and friends for meal delivery. And between that and one of my friends that's a driver, uh, between the two people, they told me, you know, we have we good deliveries from, and I, that's how I found about the whole Valley Lift situation. So it's right. kind of so it's kind of nice for me to hear about that. And Matt, you've been very conspicuously silent. I think hey, we should bring you in. You know, I, I'm literally I um I didn't have anything to do with any of the questions on this one, so I'm literally just kind of following your lead. So thank you, Stan, and thank so you. So you're Julie. flying blind, so to speak. I, I am. I am flying blind on this one. Um, so Julie, that is that is an amazing um thing that you were just saying about the um kind of the adaptiveness of what you guys did to um help um with delivery of meals. Um, I imagine that would also be pretty impactful on not only the people in the community receiving those, but also the drivers that are delivering them. Has there been any feedback that you've received on that and how the community is receiving that, that change of service? The, the feedback I've gotten so far, and, and it's been kind of a rough start getting started, but we, I think we have a couple weeks under our belt now and um, talking with the manager from our program, um, the feedback has been very positive. People are really thankful to receive the meals. Um, I think that hopefully we can do much more. We also took on another program that um, is one of our, our elderly and disabled programs that we fund, which is for people who don't necessarily um, qualify for the Valley Lift program um, and they don't necessarily, um, they usually are Medic Medicare patients, not Medicaid, so they don't have medical um, accessibility. And so we actually are starting to do those rights too for that program. And we're able to charge it back to the, to the STF program. Cool. They're in their medical rides and not going without. So we try to, again, adapt. And I think that this, although um, the COVID situation has been very challenging it also really was an eye-opener for RVTD that we are not prepared for an emergency. Um, you know, we live in a very um, kind of sheltered area as far as natural disasters, although we all know about Cascadia and that it'll eventually happen. But we haven't really been prepared. And so this has really been a good um, opportunity for us to, to work on that piece of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Before we started recording, oh, I'm sorry, Matt. Before we started recording, you talked about the challenge with dealing with OSHA. Could you talk about some of that and how that is going? Sure. So early on, we were contacted by Oregon OSHA about social distancing and um, people that were boarding our vehicles and having contact with our bus drivers. And early in um, the COVID pandemic, a lot of the transit districts were closing off the front door and the fare box and allowing free fare and having people board from the back. But they were also like closing off the area where elderly and disabled sit, which made it really difficult for people that were needed accessible transportation that normally used fixed route they were getting shifted to a valley lift kind of situation where a van was coming and picking them up. And then the people in the back of the bus weren't able to social distance. 
So it was overcrowding system to the point where in the Salem area, they had seven drivers or coach operators test positive. And a lot of people in Marion and Polk County started getting ill with the COVID disease. So we decided not to do that. And the approach we took was to um, build barriers, plexiglass barriers for our drivers, kind of seal them off from the fare box and the, the person. And so they don't have direct contact. People that use the fare box, we have a, a electronic system where they can just tap it. They don't have to necessarily hand anybody money. Uh, the money is fed through the fare box. So we felt like we did the right thing there. But people were really worried about the social distancing piece of it. So we were able to get a hold of some N95 masks, which originally we were told we couldn't have. And we were able to find some that the uh, medical community had turned down. They were boxes that had been opened because of the fires down here. They were in good shape, but once you crack a case, it couldn't go into the medical facility. So we were able to gather those up and and get our employees um, trained on how to use them and also, you know, how how to social distance a little bit better. We also marked off seats in our vehicles to kind of keep people apart and told them there's a red X there. Don't sit there unless you're family members, then you can sit together. Um, So there was a lot of educating. And then we made the decision and it was a hard decision um, to tell them that they had to wear masks. So the passengers now have to wear a face covering of some sort, either a bandana or an, an actual mask. So we purchased masks to give out to our riders um, and, you know, really try to be proactive in our thought process. I and was, with, oh, go on. As I say, with that OSHA, um, we also were required to put together a manual that showed how we were addressing every single safety issue through this COVID-19. And um, I wrote the manual, it was 20 pages. So it's pretty extensive talking about how you even secure somebody who's in a wheelchair. Mm. Well, you know, it's funny when you talk about the mask, and I was lucky because I, when I was arranging the ride, you had uh, uh, Tim Fountain give the recording on the day before, you know, or, you know, the masks were required as of April the 10th, I believe it was. And I said, okay, what am I going to do? Because I don't have a mask and so you know me, the first day before, on April 9th, I decided to put a bag over my head <laughs> and get one of these reusable bags. And I went out, because I knew it was the next day. Well, anyway, I went over to Rogue Retreat, where I normally am during the day. And luckily, they gave me a mask. And uh, it has worked out very good, but I thought, oh, how am I going? How am I going to even find one? I didn't know that. In some cases, the drivers were giving some of them out, but I was worried about that because I wanted sure. to comply. Well, and I think that the unfortunately, um, this is going to be our new normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think 
when the governor um, is going to come out and speak to the public, I believe the beginning of the next week or maybe at the end of this week, talking about the rollout in Oregon and what we're going to look at. Um, this is what it's going to look like. And, and it's so trying to get prepared for it is very, very difficult. I think the biggest thing that we talked about internally was we didn't want to turn anybody away from having transportation. If you have an essential trip, you need to do the trip. So we better, we're going to require this. We better be prepared to give a mask if somebody needed it. Yeah. You know, um, Julie, one thing that um, I'm realizing and I've been hearing a lot lately is, um, and you kind of talked about this with this being kind of the new normal, is um, when COVID-19 hit, we realized how codependent we were as as humanity, really, and how we operate, um, that something like this could shut us down like it did. Um, so when we're moving forward now over at Rogue Retreat, and I'm sure you guys are too, we are looking at how we can still open back up operations so that we can have as some kind of normalcy, but then be prepared for if we ever have to revert back to a shutdown in the future. Um, a lot of people are talking about the return of COVID in the fall. Um, is there work that you're doing now that you think will benefit um, RVTD if this rears its head again in the future? Absolutely. So, you know, it's it's interesting because people think it's so easy if you're going to stop a route or change something um, mm-hmm. that you can just snap your fingers and it happens. Out. And yep. That is how it happens. We had to put signage on every single bus stop. Um, mm-hmm. We had to, you know, reprint our manuals, every our, our, our uh, route manuals. So, or guides, excuse me, I call them manuals, guides. But one of the things is that I told the staff, as you're taking down those signs, keep them because they were individual signs that were made for that bus stop. You know, keep all of these things in place because we may have to do this again. And then we had, we have a, a 73 drivers just on our fixed route service. And so all of those schedules we can reuse again if we scale back or we have to scale forward. So one of the things recently was the governor put together a task force that just talked about transit and and asked for our recommendations. So when I say the new normal, the things that we're going to be putting in place is mandatory use of masks, Um, putting those those social distancing marks on the seat so that people know where they should or shouldn't sit. Mm We're going to actually install hand sanitizers on the bus as soon as we can, um, which will also give the the uh, person who's using the system some assurance that they can they can put some hand sanitizer on. We also, in between every single route, we have a cleaning crew that boards mm-hmm. and wipes down all the touch spots. And wow. I'm expensive, but you know what? It's it's the way I think that we've been fortunate not to pass. Um, COVID-19 in our community. Yeah, we um, feel the same way with our shelter. There's so much work now that goes just into cleaning it that um, that you walk in and you're overwhelmed with the smell of cleaning supplies sometimes, but it's what needed to happen. Um, it, it does cost that extra money, though, because we had to bring in new staff just for that. So, I, yep. Yeah, and I think I said, I think we're all going to be addicted to hand sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I agree. <laughs> you know, it, it's like, once in a while, you you're, you just start sniffing your own hand, going, "What is? What the heck? I smell like alcohol." So yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, 
Yeah. So um, is this impacting any of the potential growth of any of the growth plans that RVT do might have had um, coming up? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. We were going to do another lift um, that was going to happen this spring, and we have put it on hold. Okay. And the reason for it is we cannot board more than between 9 and 12 people on our bus and keep with social distancing. So one of the things that I've asked the governor to put into play is to allow social distancing to be three feet on a transit vehicle, mm-hmm. um, which will, as long as we're wearing masks. And it sounds like that's going to be what is, what is going to be allowed in the future. Um, with that said, we, it, it cuts down the amount of people that can actually ride on your bus. And so we're having to take all of our resources and put extra service out. So service is actually going to increase frequency so it may not be every half hour it may be every 20 minutes Mm -hmm. just so we can people don't have to if they miss the first bus because it's too crowded they can jump on the next bus and still get to their destination especially if you're working makes Mm -hmm. it really really difficult to stay on time yeah you know i have to say one thing because as you know i know that july is normally budgetary budget time and I was telling Matt, I sure would love to be a fly on the wall because I'm sure the subjects are quite interesting <laughs> when this new budget comes out. And I'm only laughing because I, I've been there and I can just imagine what things are like this year. So, so one of the things that's really in- interesting, Stan, is over the years, you know how hard we've been worked to put together a contingency plan for RVTD when you rely on state and federal dollars. Yes. You have a, you have to really know about flow cash flow and how you're going to, to um, address that. One of the things that we've been really fortunate is we now have enough operating dollars for eight months without the federal government. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been difficult sometimes with our board to, because they would like to do new things. And I keep reminding it just takes one little disaster to put us backwards. And we need to be able to continue rolling the system until the federal government can recover. So we were sitting in a really good place going into this. Then on top of it, through the CARES Act, um, they allowed additional funding for transit agencies. And um, when I was on a, a committee that actually was talking with our legislators in Washington, D.C. when they were putting this together. And one of the things that I kept telling them is, look, you need to to guarantee that we don't lay our employees off, that we don't lose our employees, and that no matter what we do, we have some additional COVID money. And so they promised us a, a pretty small amount, but it was enough to get us through a month. When they finished with the bill for our community, RVT received $7.7 million, which we were so shocked that we received that amount of money as a small urban. But that gives us the opportunity to run for a year and, um, and supplement what we're doing. Now, the one thing about when you talked about the expanded services is if you remember through the STIF or the it's statewide transportation improvement funds, which is the employee tax. So you see on your check, there's some money that's taken out for yeah. transit. 
paid period. Well, that's based on payroll. And with people not working, guess what happens? Your revenue drops. So this federal dollars will help us to continue keeping our service at a level that it has been. Um, but, you know, we don't know what the future is going to hold getting people back to work. Yeah, there's a lot of unknowns out there right now. Um, you know, and Julie, one of the things that um, I'm kind of thinking about as you're um, talking to is when um, the work that we do with Rogue Retreat is with the homeless. In many cases, when we're working with people, we're helping people get their IDs, get their their life back in order, and then we help them begin um, trying to find employment and those kind of things. And oftentimes, transportation is a central ingredient to that. Um, can you maybe talk a little bit about what the why the importance um, to somebody that might not think public transportation is important, why we need it as a community, <clears throat> and, and why it's absolutely essential? Sure. So even during this this pandemic, it's been interesting because I've had a mixed um, kind of pushback from my board as to what are we doing this for and what's essential and why are people going to work? You know, are you sure that these people are going to work, etc.? Transit is essential for everybody. It doesn't matter who it is. And I, and I think that one of the things for us, knowing what you do at Rogue Retreat, and by the way, thank you for what you do it's, it's so wonderful. I mean, Thank you. it's nice to have somebody in the community actually care and do something. It took a long time to get there, but you guys are really rolling out great services. With that said, it's essential that people have a way to get around. Bicycles are great, and there's a lot of people on bicycles. But having transit available changes people's lives. And I can't tell you how many people have thanked us over the years for providing them a, a, the way to get to work, um, to get to their medical appointments and their essential things. And then having the Valley Lift service too is important. But I, I think that if you want people to recover and to be able to be productive in their communities, you know, being able to have a housing and a job and transportation is critical. Otherwise, there is no hope. There's no reason for them to do what they need to do to move on and get, get well. Mm -hmm. And so this is, it's just totally critical. And I think that a lot of people are starting to understand that. Yeah. Well, you know, I had a situation, this was a while back and I had a situation where I don't remember the person's name, but he, but he came up to me, he says, we, you know, was one of the fellow writers and he said, thank you. For, uh, for your service on the board, and I really miss you being there. Well, we that, miss having. <laughs> yeah, that touched me. It really did. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think too the piece that a lot of people don't realize sometimes, and it's really becoming apparent, is people who have mental illness. Sometimes that bus ride is their life. Yeah. It is social interaction for the day. Um, it is what they need to be able to maintain um, their their life. And so one of the hardest things that we had to do was try to discourage that kind of riding on our buses during this time and telling them, look, we know that you're doing this to socialize. You really need to go home and you need to shelter in place. We don't want you to get sick. Um, and that's tough 
Missing me and Mental in the same breath. Thank you very much, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't directed at you. <laughs> but, but, you know, I have met so many people down at the transfer station. Um, yeah. Our buses over the years. And I know that we impact their lives. They send me notes. They talk to me. And um, a lot of our drivers... That is their life. They mm-hmm. they have to have that certain driver, that certain ride, and mm-hmm. you know they depend on it. Mm-hmm. So, um, Julie, I just want to say, I just want to thank you for your service on this, your leadership during this time and keeping everything moving forward. Literally, um, has been absolutely um, essential to this community. And I know that Stan um, has. It's been great being able to have him still be able to come into work and help me with these podcasts and help doing it, doing that. And that's because of your organization, your guys' willingness to continue providing this essential service. Is there anything that the community can do to um, help RVTD as you continue to move forward with your mission? Well, if you're, if you're somebody who uses the service, please be patient and really understand if you get left at that bus stop, because we can't board you, um, you know, know that we will send another bus out there that will try to get you on the next one. We've been running actually extra tripper buses that are following behind. So we know that there's a lot of people that work at Herring David at this time. And so we try to send out an extra bus on that route during that hour. Um, wear your, your personal protection gear. That's for anybody in general. If you're in the store, wherever, you're not just protecting yourself. For protecting the people around you. And so even though they told us in the beginning that we shouldn't wear masks, I think that it became apparent that, yeah, it does help. Mm-hmm. Um, and just know that in the future, we'll, we'll try to continue the levels of service that we've been providing. Um, but again, we may be constrained because of lack of funding, um, mm-hmm. like anybody. And I think the biggest thing, too, is... Um, that I'm, we're trying to encourage not only through our <clears throat> staff, but also um, I've been trying to encourage in the community is don't forget your nonprofits. Don't forget the giving of um, other to other agencies because they're struggling and we want to keep our community as intact as possible. Mm-hmm. So um, if I know RVTD has supplied road retreat with a couple vehicles <laughs> no, I'm, I'm laughing because did you see the video on the website, the Finding Hope area of the Rogue Retreat, where it has a picture of me in the front seat of one of the vans? And, and he was driving the point home for um, people to check out the podcast. <laughs> you know, um, I've been accused of driving by Braille. Yes. <laughs> yes. I... With all the technology where the car practically drives for you, where it stops if you're going to hit something, you know, it might be a possibility in the future. <laughs> you never know. But I'll tell you one thing I want to get across too is I want you to, to pass along to the people of Paratransit because they do such a good job of training the drivers of how to do things. I've in the entire time I've only had to complain about one driver and I hated to have to do it, but I did. And he, you know, he does, they do such a wonderful job of, 
of that. And those people, you know, they sometimes have to deal with a lot of uh, difficult situations even than that. So I wanted to pass along that and encourage the people on the board to share this with the people on the board and the rest of the RBTD uh, staff that the Finding Podcast 34 will be available as soon as I get done editing it. And uh, I, I really want this because I want people to know, as I said during the time that I, want, that I got the award, I may be gone, but I'm not out of the picture. And who knows? I'm, I may be back. I think there's a good possibility but I won't make the mistake I did last time. <laughs> not getting the picture. I was teasing John Watt about that because I ran into him one day when I was shopping. And he said, well, see, I told you, if you didn't get that uh, um, picture, you probably wouldn't win. I said, well, that's right. <laughs> well, it's been an honor to be able to talk to both of you because I think what you do is is – is very, very important. And I think that people know that I am a big supporter of, of our um, agencies in the community. But um, the one thing I hope people will remember is we are all human and we do make mistakes. I know that sometimes our drivers may be gruff or may say things that seem really, really inappropriate. <laughs> and, and I think that the one thing when we're talking about, you know, hope and, and people changing in their lives, it's just give everybody grace, give mm -hmm. people grace and allow them to be themselves. And sometimes we have to overlook our own stupidity of what we, comes out of our mouths. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I hope that RVTD can continue being a really good um, service here in the community for everyone. Well, you are that. Thank you, Julie. Almost, oh, go on, Matt. No, I, I, was just, I was just saying thank you, Julie. That was a perfect, um, yeah, I think a perfect way for the closing and everything. And um, Stan, I'll let you take us away. Yeah, take us away. Anyway, with that <laughs> in mind, uh, thank you, Julie. I can't say enough about you being here. I was wondering if that was going to be possible. Hello? But I'm sure happy yeah, that you not. agreed to do that with us and... We'll let you know when it, when the podcast is published. And with that in mind, uh, be sure and listen to our next episode. By the way, if you're looking for the Finding Hope podcast, you can find it in all the usual places like Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, and all the places where you might find podcasts, including TuneIn. That's it for this edition. That's it for now. This is Stan Luttrell saying, have a great week, everybody. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good one, Julie. Thanks, Stan. Right. Thank you.